The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. All right. Good morning, church. Uh, Welcome to the 11 o'clock where you may remove your mask uh, if you so desire. Uh, You are welcome to keep your mask on uh, if you want as well. But uh, good to see you here. We're 49 in the room today. So uh, we are great. Okay. Uh, One more and we would be at capacity. Chad, leave that seat for Jesus right there, my friend. Okay. (laughs) Hey, uh, really glad that you are here with us this morning. Let's open up our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you brought your own Bible, open it up. I hope you do have that. Uh, You can open a phone or a tablet. If you're online with us, good morning to you. Uh, Welcome to the 11 o'clock. You can see uh, just to the right of your screen, or maybe left or below somewhere, there's a little Bible thing. 1 Corinthians 15 is where we're going to spend our time today. Um, I don't travel a whole lot. I guess none of us really do, right? Right this year, uh, but uh, even even on a normal year, uh, I'm not a bit. I, I don't travel for my job a, a ton, but every year uh, I do have one standing trip. I go uh, to uh, the Acts 29 annual conference. Acts 29 is the network of churches that we are a part of. Uh, and so a couple years ago, uh, I get to the airport to go on this trip. I, I board a Southwest flight because I like Southwest because I like to choose my seat. I like to see what kind of crazy I'm going to sit next to before I get there. I don't like to be assigned the crazy that I have to sit with, right? So uh, I get on the board and I'm looking around and seeing what middle seats are left, right? And trying to figure out where I'm going to sit. And I notice as I survey the plane that every single Acts 29 lead pastor and staff from the entire front range as is all on this Southwest flight. Like we're all there together. Uh, and my, my, my mind, which is, has issues at times, right? So uh, my mind immediately thinks this, man, if this one goes down, there's a lot of churches suffering on Sunday. Right? This, is where, this is where my head goes uh, to a dark place. Now I thought that tongue in cheek, because right? I don't think that the plane's actually going down. But then uh, we, we get to cruising altitude, the bu- unbuckle your seatbelt sign comes off, so I'm just kicking back, all right, with some other Acts 29 people, only to hit turbulence. And not just like a little bit of turbulence, like the kind of turbulence that brings back to memory the first episode of Lost, right? Where you're afraid a suitcase is going to hit you or a dead body's going to fly by. Like that's the kind of turbulence that just jolts the entire plane. And in, my mo- in, the, in that moment, I'm like, oh no, I should not have thought that, that this plane, this plane is really going down. And so in, the, in that very moment, I started making a deal with God. Started bargaining with the Lord right there. I was like, hey, Lord, if you want to just take me, like right now, just take me, like yank me out of here. I'm going, like I'm good, I'm good to go. I love my wife, I love my daughter, take me, right? Cause I don't wanna plummet 30,000 feet into Utah, right? Or like end up on some deserted island fighting a smoke monster for the next six months. Like I would just assume, I just assume, Lord, take me now. A quick death and eternity with Jesus sounds better than the alternatives at that moment. That sounds somewhat reasonable, okay? But it's also biblical, Now, here's the question, okay? How do you think the Apostle Paul, in complete honesty, says these words from Philippians chapter one? I'll put them on the screen. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Um, How do you get to the place, like the Apostle Paul, where he is not, he's not, uh, you know, anti-living, 
He says, living is great. To live is Christ. I've got stuff that Christ has for me, but to die is gain. How do you get to the point where you really believe that? Because I'll be straight with you. I'm not sure I believe that most days. Like to live is great and to die sounds not like gain. It sounds like loss at times to me. I think what we're gonna find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as we finish this um, is the reason theologically that you could get to the place that Paul is at where, where he legitimately thinks it would be better to die and be with Jesus in eternity than it would be to continue to live. And I actually think that until you get that theologically, you won't truly know how to live. Let me try and make my point as we engage with the text today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're gonna finish this text. We're gonna start in verse 35. Uh, go ahead and take a look at this along with me. 1 Corinthians 15, 35. But someone will ask, and I think, I think as I study this, I think when they're asking this, they're being snarky. All right, I think there's a little bit of sarcasm and snarkiness right here. So I'll say it and as it sounds in my head, okay? Somebody will ask, how are the dead raised? That's my, that's my re reading into this. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Like surely, Paul, you're being silly. Remember last week, they don't believe that there's a bodily resurrection. So they're questioning that. What kind of body in this supposed resurrection do you think we will have? And Paul retorts like this. You foolish person, which is Bible for you're a dummy. Like, don't be a dummy. You fool. You, you foolish person. What you sow, now he's going to use a metaphor here. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it, as, uh, gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. 39, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. This is not astrology or astronomy though it may sound like it on the surface. Uh, this is actually Paul giving a couple of metaphors to help us understand what these resurrected bodies we will have one day will be like. And the first illustration he uses is agriculture. He talks about seeds, okay? And he says that when you take a seed and you plant it in the ground, essentially it dies, Right, that seed essentially goes and it breaks up and it starts to grow into something else. What comes up from that seed is supposed to be better than that seed was by itself. And it is of the same kind. That's what he says, that whatever grows from the seed is of the same kind. So it's like if you plant a tomato seed, don't expect pumpkins. That's just not how it works. But also, if you plant a tomato seed, don't expect a tree full of seeds. What comes up is what is produced from that seed. And it is different, and it is the same. And then he uses this second kind of illustration where he talks about different types of bodies, 
right? He talks about human bodies and how they're different from animal bodies, which are different from bird bodies, which are different from fish bodies. And then he says there are earthly bodies and then there are these heavenly bodies, not like heaven, the place you go when you die, but like the heavens, right? The, the, the like space bodies. And he's like, the moon is a body and the sun is a body and stars are different bodies. His whole point here is this. In, your, in the resurrection, your body will be different from the natural body that you have right now. The body that you have right now is natural, but there will be this spiritual resurrected body. And it, it's, listen, it, it's going to be the same, but it's going to be different. It's going to be like fruit that's coming from the seed that is you right now. And so I'll make my first point of the morning about this. Uh, in the resurrection, you will be you. You will be you. Like I, in the, when I'm resurrected, after I die and the Lord returns, I will be raised and I will be Chris Martin. I'm not going to be somebody else. I'm not going to be just like a form of human. I will be me. You will be you. It's just that right now what you're looking at, I'm a seed version of myself right now. You're a seed version of yourself right now. But I will, in the resurrection, become the body that God intends me to be. It is the same, but it is different. Well, you ask, how different will it be? I'm glad you asked that because Paul answers us in the text. Look at verse 42. 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So what Paul is doing in that paragraph, he's really, he's comparing and contrasting the natural bodies that we all have right now with the resurrected bodies that we will have in the future. That's what he's doing. He's kind of just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. At first he says, what is sown, what is the, the seed that's planted in the ground, your body, your natural body is perishable and what is raised is imperishable. It's a difference between your body now, the seed body, and the fully grown resurrected body that you will have one day. One is perishable, the other is imperishable. Now we know this to be true. We know this is true, okay? Our bodies right now are subject to wear and tear. We grow old, we get sick, we get hurt. We are, we are perishable beings. Uh, I don't know if you, you watch TED Talks, everyone? I mean, anybody seen it? I was watching this TED Talk. I think they're fascinating. Most of them are loony. Okay, but this one was very loony. I watched this TED Talk um, from a Cambridge researcher. He is arguing that aging is merely a disease uh, and a curable one at that. He, completely serious. I mean, this isn't like TED funny. This is like TED talk, okay? Uh, this is what he argues, that by following his seven-step plan, there are human beings who are already born today who could live to be a thousand years old. Old. And he believes it, okay? Um, 
Now listen, I am all for science. I'm all for science. I'm also all for history. Okay, and I don't, I think they should work together. Uh, and with history on my side, I am gonna say this. No matter how many wheatgrass shots you take, okay, no, no, no matter how many thousands of dollars you hand over to Whole Foods so you can eat organic, all right? No matter how much you crossfit or how, how much water you track drinking or how many hours you sleep, no matter how much you do that, you are perishable. Your body right now is perishable. I mean, living to a thousand doesn't even sound fun to me. But, but we're perishable. But our resurrected bodies will not be so. Paul just said that, that our resurrected bodies will not face the same sort of corruption and corrosion that we are going through currently. They will be imperishable. The next thing that he says is that, that, that our bodies will be sown in dishonor and then raised in glory. Now, this one feels a little heavier to me, but stay with me here for a second, okay? Um, question, how many of you have watched loved ones die? You seen, you maybe walked with them, you've seen a loved one die. Um, if you've done that, you know that it is dishonoring. Okay, when I was young, uh, a little, little boy, uh, one of my favorite uh, extended family was uh, my great uncle Charlie, great uncle Charlie. He lived uh, in New Jersey uh, and I love this guy. He was strong. I mean, he was uh, just full of life, full of energy. He was a man of nature. He loved to hike. He, he had a cabin on this lake. And so he would go hunting. He had this bearskin rug that he had killed this bear and turned it into this rug. We'd go and sleep under this bearskin rug. It was like we were thrown back into Thoreau or something like that. It was incredible going to visit. He swam and he fished and he hiked and he skied. And he was just like a man. He was man's man. He had this awesome beard. I mean, it was legit all the way. I loved Uncle Charlie. Later in life, he developed Alzheimer's disease. And it rapidly progressed and to the point where he had to be put in a facility to be cared for. And if you've, if you've seen or been you know, firsthand with somebody who has Alzheimer's, um, man, it is not, it's dishonorable. Like, like at, the, at the end of his life, we went to visit him before we kind of knew he was getting close to, to his time. And so we visited him. I was maybe 12 or 13. And, and the strong man that I knew and loved was not there. I mean, he was there, but he wasn't the same, right? Like, he didn't know who he was. He certainly didn't know who I was. Uh, by the end, they had to feed him. They had to clean him up, change him. They had to wipe the drool from his face. Our earthly bodies end in dishonor. They end in dishonor. But Paul says, we will be raised in glory. Now, glory is a word that we kind of throw around as a churchy word, like glorified, glorification, glory. It's a Christian-y word. Here's what it means. It, it means as God intended it to be. In glory, we will be as God intended us to be. There will be no dishonor. There will be no shame. There will be no humiliation. You will be made right. You will be made human as God intended for you to be before sin wrecked this whole thing. So you'll be raised in glory. Then Paul says, uh, 
Our bodies, we will be sown in weakness and raised in power, which kind of, you know, you hear power, you think like superpower? Am I going to be Superman? Maybe we'll walk through walls? Jesus did, so maybe. Like, that's pretty sweet. But, uh, you know, what does that mean? Okay, well, um, here's what I read online. Our bodies peak at age 25. It's great to know, right? This is good information to have. Okay, question real quick. Anybody in here 24 or younger? Anybody in here 24 or younger? Hey, good news. You got a lot to look forward to, right? Like there's some upward life for you to live. Okay, anybody in here exactly 25 years old? 25, 25, 20. It's all downhill. (laughs) Sister, it's all downhill from here. Trust me, it doesn't get much better than that. My daughter is five, okay? She is five, and she is completely unaware that her body is weak. Just completely unaware. Right now, Harper can get on her bike, ride her bike for six hours, hop off that thing, eat something, right? Like she'll eat a little lunch, go jump on the trampoline immediately. Food is barely down her, her, her food pipe and she's jumping on the tramp another four hours. We have to beg her to get off, get her bath, go to sleep upon threat. She wakes up the next morning, ready to do it again. Not even sore. Not e- I told you last week, I hurt myself sleeping. Here's... Have you ever fallen up the stairs? Yeah, I did that this week. It's all downhill from here, y'all. It's all downhill. The point is, as you age, as we age, we get weaker, not stronger. Here's the progression. Okay, here's, here's the progression. Uh, you start by not knowing that your body is weak. You think you're invincible. You just don't know that your body is weak. Then you move to this place where you can still do what you used to do. It just feels different when you're done, right? You can still kind of do it, but it just feels different. Then you move to not being able to do what you used to do, okay? Then you move to not wanting to do any of the things that you used to do, then you die. (laughs) Welcome to church, right? And when you go into your grave, which you will. When you go into the grave, you will be at your weakest point. But Paul just said, you will be raised in power. In the age to come, you will exist at your peak, 25, I don't know, whatever it might be. You will exist there forever. And then finally in verse 49, so he does this whole thing in the middle of this paragraph where he talks about the man of dust and he defines that as Adam. And then he says the man of heaven, who we know to be Jesus. Yeah, Sunday school answers work here. Jesus, good. Um, And he says in verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus. So, What that means, I think, is that while you will be you, let me make my second point. You will be you, but you will be glorified. Oh, I told you I was gonna call you out if you forgot a slide. There you go, Josh. Nice job. You will be glorified. That's, so, so we've already talked about glorified. That's a theological word, glorification, glorified. Here's what that means. You will be changed. You will be completely transformed. You might be, some, some use the language, you will be perfected. 
All right, you will be like Christ. In the resurrection, you will be you, but you will be glorified. So I've got some other verses that back this up, okay? So Philippians chapter three says this, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. First John chapter three says a similar thing. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But when we know that, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And then Romans eight, uh, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Don't worry about that. This predestined just means that you have been destined before, okay? So um, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. You will be glorified. You will be like Jesus. You want to know what your resurrected body will be like? What eternity will be like? Look at Jesus' resurrected body. So I just kind of did a little bit of reading. What what did Jesus actually do? Like, what is his resurrected body like? Now, some of this may transfer. It may not. Okay, we're going to hold this with an open hand. But I think it's fun to kind of look at this and think about this a little bit. Jesus was able to eat in his resurrected, glorified body. So does that mean that we'll have Chipotle in the age to come? I think so. Manna in heaven, right? Okay. Jesus was able to, hear me, touch and be touched in his glorified body. Does that mean there will be physical contact in the age to come? I think so. It's physical. It's gonna be a physical resurrection. Jesus was able uh, at times to be recognized by people around him. Like sometimes he can go into like camo Jesus mode. I don't know what that means, but like sometimes he camos up and people don't recognize him, but other times people recognize who he is. So does that mean that you will know and be known by your loved ones in the age to come? I think so. I think it might be a little different in the age to come, but I think you'll, you'll, be, able, you'll be you. You'll be recognizable. You'll be able to recognize people around you. And then one of the things that kind of blew my mind this week um, was this. uh, So Jesus' resurrected body still had the scars on his hands and, and the wound in his side, like the scar in his side. But then we have no other mention of any of his other wounds or disfigurements. Like there's no mention of like the crown of thorns and piercings or like his back was almost flayed off of him during his flogging. We don't have any mention. He's perfect other than he's got these scars to show because Thomas is like, hey, I want to see it. And he touches them, right? He's like, hey, put your hand in my side, which I don't know what kind of goopy Jesus you get on you if you do that. But it's a strange thing, right? So that, there's, there's a little debate about this, okay? There's some debate theologically. I read about it this week. And, and so obviously this is gonna be somewhat conjecture, okay? So let's step away from the Bible for just a moment and let's just talk in conjecture land. Does this mean that we might bear some scars from our earthly existence in eternity? Uh, maybe, like it could be. I think perhaps maybe some. 
Like, listen, there are some scars in my life that I hope are good and gone. I hope I get resurrected and they are gone. From me being a fool, from things being done to me. I mean, I've got a scar on my arm here. That was when I was a kid. I wasn't paying attention where I was walking, ran right into a sign. Just plant. Like, I hope that thing's gone, right? Nothing good came of that scar other than this story right now, okay? Never told that before. Um, but, but reality, there are some scars, both emotional scars and, and maybe even physical scars that I feel like have kind of made me who I am. They may have hurt at the time, but they have defined me and to not have them would feel something of a loss. And so maybe some scars will remain. Only those though that are, that are positive, that are a part of our transformation into the image of God. And frankly, what is clear is that there will be no pain associated with those scars in eternity. That's, don't take that as gospel. Okay, don't write that down. Don't post that on Facebook. Just like think on that. I don't know. I, I just, that's my take on it. Here's what we know. You will be glorified. You will be glorified. Now, Paul, he, he's going he's gonna to take us a little bit on a detour for just a second to address um, the second coming and some questions that the people there had about this. So follow me here in verse 50 and following. He says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So that's what he's, what he's saying right there is like, hey, just, like your physical body right now, it can't even make it to heaven. Flesh and blood cannot inherit that. Perishable things cannot enter into the domain of the imperishable. You've got to essentially die and be resurrected in order to enter into the kingdom of God. And then he says this, behold, uh, verse uh, 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Couple things to point out in this little bit before I make my final point. First, Paul is answering a lingering question. So I don't know if you know this, but every single uh, Every single uh, community, every single church, every single believer since Jesus uh, rose from the dead has thought that he was going to return in their lifetime. Like every single community of Christians has believed that Jesus has is going to return in their lifetime, as we should. We are in uh, this in-between age. So I think that's completely fair. But, but Paul is answering a question that I think is lingering in the thoughts of the Corinthians. Like what if Christ returns and some of us don't die? Like, what if Christ returns and the seed isn't planted in the ground? Like, do we miss out on the resurrection? And Paul's like, no. He doesn't call them dummies this time, but he's like, no. We shall not all sleep. That's, that's that euphemism for death. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So even if Christ returns tomorrow and the rest of us are still alive we shall all be changed. I don't know how that happens. I don't know if like you just kind of morph into a, your resurrected body or what, but you will be changed even if you don't 
die. And then what, uh, what happens is he goes on to say this glorious verse. I mean, this is the verse that we read at most funerals, right? This is the funeral verse. He reads it. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Which is always a fascinating verse to read at funerals in some ways, because death seems, hear me, it seems to have victory right now. You're at a funeral, Death seems to have won, right? Death certainly stings right now. Where is your sting? I don't know. The person, ask the person in the, the, the casket because getting there doesn't seem very pleasant. Death stings right now. But remember the context here. In the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead, death will be swallowed up. That imagery is, is cool. Death will be swallowed and God will give us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, death, where is your sting? Well, we feel it on this side of eternity, but there will be a day, like we said last week, where death will be destroyed. And then finally, I wanna make my final point in verse 58, the last verse of this chapter. Here's what it says. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Here's what I think. So many evangelicals um, seem to have a real problematic theology about life after death. And here's what I think it reads, this, this problematic theology. I think we, a lot of evangelicals believe that, hey, when you die, you just go to heaven and then you just kind of like hang up, hang out up there, just like waiting for the trumpet to blast and everybody else to get sucked up into heaven so that God can just show up and nuke this joint and we'll start over. Like that seems to be the vision of heaven that even many Christians believe. The problem is that's just not how the Bible talks about this stuff. Paul doesn't say, hey, well, in light of all that resurrection talk, all that life after death talk that we just have, this life that you're living right now, all the life that you've got left to live, it doesn't matter at all. He doesn't say, hey, just because you're saved and you're going to go to heaven when you die, just do whatever you want. It doesn't even matter because God's just going to pull you out of here one day. So how you live today, it doesn't matter at all. In, in, in fact, he says the exact opposite at the close of this chapter. And it's my third point. I'll put it up on the screen. How you live matters. This is, this is the argument that he's building. Do you see this? He says, you will be you in the resurrection and you will be glorified, the glorified version of you in the resurrection. Therefore, how you live today matters. Now, why? Why does that matter? Why can't I just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow I die and go to be with Jesus? Why can't I do that? Because the seed that you are today is not the seed that you will be planted in the ground as. You are not done being sanctified. It's the theological term. And one day when you are put in the ground, then you're the seed that will grow into the resurrected you. But right now, you're a seed in progress. 
When, you're, when you die and you're planted in the ground, you will grow into a resurrected person. But right now you are in process as a seed. So here's, here's a flawed, but I think helpful illustration, okay? Um, I am not much of an athlete anymore. I used to be, I mean, I was like, I was great. You don't believe me? Man, the nine believed me, I'm just saying, okay? Listen, I used to be okay at sports, all right? Not anymore so much, but I used to be better at them than I am now. Uh, I, uh, there's one thing that I was never good at or into, and that was long-distance running. Just not my thing, okay? Give me a sprint. Like, give me a sprint. I'm going to do it all day. Uh, actually, I'll just do it once, okay? But I'm, I'm all fast twitch, Okay, it's like my muscles have ADD, right? They're like squirrel, right? That's all they've got is just like one little burst of energy. So I passed on cross country uh, for my entire life growing up. Um, and then uh, last year, so about 18 months ago, uh, went through some of my own personal kind of like internal emotional and spiritual darkness. Some of, some of the hardest stuff that I've gone through internally as a Christian since I became a, a follower of Jesus. And so uh, I just started going running. Like about 18 months ago, I just started running. Now, now hear me, it was somewhat to just do something. Like sitting around the house all day is not a good idea for anybody, but I just started going for a run. It was, it was to just do something, but then also to like to sweat a little bit. And then I found myself able to think clearer while I was running. And then I found myself praying differently. As, so I was just like, I'm gonna do this. And so I would start to run. The first time I ran, I think I ran like a quarter mile collapsed into the fetal position. Like I was really, really bad at it. Just did not know what to do running. And, and then, you know, I got a little better. I started to do it like a half mile and then I could maybe run a mile. And then as I did it more, I found myself able to just kind of go jogging, go running two to three miles. And, and, and doing that, it was still a workout, but it was like, I was able to do that. So I talked with one of my, one of my friends who uh, is a runner, like a real one. Like I went out to run. He is a runner. You understand the difference? Right? Okay, so he, he is a runner, and he told me that I should start a training regimen uh, because he's like, hey, what you're doing is fine. Like, going and running is, is good, but you're not going to get any better if you don't really, like, train and develop. And, like, if you just do the same thing over and over again, you're just going to be a, a three-mile guy, but you could actually get better at running. So... I was like, okay, uh, so Marcy got me this watch, uh, which like tracks activities and things like that, but it also has like a coaching function on there, like a training function. So I was like, we're pay we paid for this, so I may as well try it. So I signed up, hear me, I signed up uh, for a training regimen to run a 10K, okay, 10K, uh, 6.2 miles. And if you are a distance running and you're like snickering, you're like, 10K, 6.2, I can do that sleeping. It's like, hey, get off your high horse, all right? It's a lot for me. I almost passed out after a quarter mile. So like, leave me alone. I am now seven, I'm proud to say this. I am seven weeks into an 11 week training regimen for a 10K, which I will run on Halloween, apparently by myself. <laughs> That's uh, how we race these days. So hear me, I am a guaranteed winner. <laughs> yeah, I am getting the gold medal in the Chris Martin Halloween 10K. <laughs> now hear me. My attitude these last seven weeks and the full 11 weeks um, is not this. I'm gonna run a 10K on Halloween. So you know what I'm gonna do until then? Anything I want. I might go running, I might not. I might eat healthy, I might not. I can just, I'm just gonna wake up on Halloween and I'm gonna do 6.2 miles and kill it. That is not my mentality, I promise you. Okay, my wife can attest to this. Um, I am not just waiting for that day all right? I am living in light of that day. 
So October 31st is coloring almost every single day leading up to Halloween, all right? Whether it's me running a benchmark run or an easy run or like a progressive run or these things called stride repeats, which I had never heard of, but they're really hard, or rest days. Like even intentional rest days are all about the goal of getting to Halloween and running this. I mean, goodness, I'm finding myself getting a little weird on this stuff. Like I'm looking up nutrition and hydration information on the web. Like I'm reading blogs on stretching. I'm like wondering if I'm wearing the correct shoes, right? Like I'm getting into it. I draw my line at those little short shorts with the slits up your thigh. Not gonna do that, okay? That's as far as I'm willing to go in this obsession. But but why am I doing all this? Because on on October 31st, I wanna get out there and I wanna run a 10K and I don't wanna just run it. I wanna run it well. I wanna be the kind of guy who can get out there and compete and do it at a high level for me. And that's how I think we should think about our futures. Every single day is an opportunity to train. We are not only waiting for that day to come, but we, here's Paul's words, we are steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord because our labor is not in vain. I'll wager this, okay, to you. I don't know that you can live your best life without living in light of eternity. Thinking about the future does not make today less important. It actually amplifies its importance because you're living for something that will last. So, This is why Paul says in Philippians 1, these words, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Notice he does not say, this life is awful. I just wanna go and be with Jesus. He's like, no, 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 no. I've got fruitful labor to take care of right now, yet... Which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. You only get to say that dying is far better if you have theology like Paul's. You only get to be there if you have theology like like Paul's. And like I said, I think you will live far better if you think like Paul, if you can get yourself to the place where you would say, today is is so important. It is of the utmost importance. And I cannot wait to walk around in a renewed body, imperishable, full of glory, no dishonor, full of power, no weakness, like Jesus' body, not like this frail body that we inhabit right now. May we brothers and sisters in Christ grow in our belief that the age to come is far better and then let that transform us today. Let us live in light of the resurrection. Let's pray together. Lord, we bless you. 1 Corinthians 15, things of first importance. Father, thank you for this chapter. Thank you for the weeks that we were able to spend digging into it. 
Lord, I do thank you for this glimpse of what the age to come, what eternal life, what the new heavens and the new earth will look like. And God, I do pray that it whets our appetite in, in a culture where, where we are so tantalized with the here and now, where we're afraid that if, if you come back or if, if we die, as we would say, an early death, that somehow we are gonna miss out that like in, in, in our brains, we believe that we'll be in eternity thinking with it. If only we could go back and live on earth. And Paul, your servant, gives us such a picture that, that what we have on this earth will pale in comparison to what we have in eternity with you. God, let us live in light of that. Let us you, see every opportunity in our lives to, to be training for our resurrected realities that we will inhabit. God, I pray that for myself. I, I want to keep my eyes not so on this right here, but keep my eyes attuned to you and then live in light of that. I pray that for my brothers and sisters. If there are those in this room or online who do not believe in this stuff, God, I pray you call them to yourself. Holy Spirit, move in their hearts. Let them know that what they do in this world is not an end unto itself, but it can be a gateway into eternity. Lord, I pray that that would happen even right now. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for uh, the good gift it is to know that in the end, death is swallowed up and we have victory in Christ. We bless you today in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.